Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Just a quick uh, public service announcement for anybody who has not signed up to my newsletter yet. If you want to head over to DrAmyRobbins.com, you can sign up for my newsletter. I'm just starting to introduce some new pieces to the newsletter that I think are really interesting that you can only get if you subscribe. So head on over there. And today, I'm welcoming Andrew Seaton to the show. So after formal and informal investigations into so many different ideas, experiences, and organizations, Andrew Seaton came to see that in our world, we are generally making some deeply flawed assumptions about life, knowledge, and human nature. And it is those conditioned assumptions that take away our peace. Andrew resigned from a two-year stint as an education academic in order to focus on unlearning education and other conditioning and on awakening the fuller functioning that he had come to see so clearly as possible and desirable. Ultimately, this led Andrew to write his recently released book, Spiritual Awakening Made Simple, which he is here to talk to us about today. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks, Amy. Thanks for the opportunity to talk to you. And you're all the way on the other side of the world from me. <laughs> yes, right now. you're a day ahead. Down under, as they say. But that's right. We're a little, just a little bit ahead of you guys. <laughs> and, and I asked Andrew when he got on the show, I asked him, how are, how are things over there a day from now? Because I'm hoping that maybe, you know, if they're better there, then we've got some luck or something coming, coming towards us. Uh, yes, it's a different form of mediumship in a way, isn't it, to look into the future. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So can you tell us a bit about your spiritual journey and what kind of led you to write this book? Uh, yes, thanks. I'll try and give you a little thumbnail sketch here. And the first thing I want to hone in on is the word spiritual, as I use it. Um, for me, it's never really had anything much to do with beliefs. Um, I've always felt, <clears throat> certainly since my late teens, that somehow there's something subtler to life than I'm able to grab hold of. Then something more subtle about me than than I can somehow uh, make make tangible or observable. And, and there's something more to life than what's going on on the surface. And um, it was just a dim sense to start with. And then when I went to college and started, you know, studying school teaching, I found that really uninspiring, the formal, the formal training. But I, I read some books outside the curriculum that really helped to, to feed and, and confirm this sense that there's something subtler. Um, one of the, one, a couple of those books actually were by Eric Fromm and perhaps Amy, you might be familiar with Eric Fromm's mm -hmm. beautiful writings about, uh, um, the art of loving and the sane society. <laughs> Quite a topical topic at the moment, actually. We, right, we, could, exactly. we could go Maybe down we that avenue, but we won't. That. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and another book he wrote, you know, To Have or To Be. And so he was really describing, as it were, two kind of paradigms that we could uh, uh, live out in terms of 
our humanity. And anyway, I, I went on a long, long journey, both personal and in my professional life, interweaving all the time, trying to figure out how does this all fit together and what's causing all the bumps on, on the road and why are things so crazy out there? And in my work, I, it didn't make sense, <coughs> uh, you know, how we educate children right now. And I did more study. Uh, I mentioned in the preface of the book, I had a dream early in the 90s that said, you need to do some more study about how the mind works. And uh, over, you know, a couple of years later, I started doing more study and eventually did a fair bit more study looking at what is the nature of learning and, and knowledge and human intelligence and how that plays out in terms of how we live out our lives. And wow, I discovered some interesting things. The first thing is that what we really understand most um, deeply about how humans function well and how they really blossom and the sorts of conditions that support our blossoming is that all, all that stuff flies in the face of how we school our, our kids. You know, it, it, the way we school kids doesn't make sense. It only exists for political and historical reasons. Um, but anyway, that's another t another thing that we might talk more about another we time. We might have a we might have a spinoff podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, but anyway, I eventually came to understand one of the one of the real key things was that our mind is not the reliable faculty we've been taught to believe that it is. In fact, what gets in our way of peacefulness and a contented life, more than anything else, pretty much, is what we think we know with our mind. What happens is that since our very earliest childhood, we take on a whole lot of conditioning, a whole lot of kind of programming, or just automatic ways of functioning, thoughts, uh, emotions, uh, goals, uh, you know, feelings and dynamics of relationships, all sorts of stuff that we begin learning in the family, of course, and then we, we take on a whole lot more uh, quite strong uh, conditioning in our schooling system, especially conditioning about kind of self-image, the thoughts and ideas and concepts and judgments that we, we come to take on board about, you know, what kind of person we are. But it turns out that all of this conditioning is just conditioning. It's not truth. It's not reality. And so when we live our lives out and we may, <clears throat> majority of human beings have periodic, you know, frustrations and lacks of satisfaction, <laughs> or shall I say the majority have quite regular lack of, lack of real satisfaction and, and lack of uh, fulfillment. And some people have a lot of more intense discomfort emotional discomfort or psychological discomfort. And increasingly, there's a lot of people with anxiety and depression and, uh, you know, fearfulness of the future and so forth. So what's going on with all that stuff? Well, it's simply that we're playing out our conditioned ways of perceiving things or we get caught up in, in, in the interpretations that we make of what we see and hear and read and so forth and experience. And it's not so much what we experience as our life that causes us our frustrations and our emotional uh, upsets or turmoils. It's the thoughts that we have about what we see or what we hear or about who we are that we believe. Even that last word is crucial because thoughts, the other thing is that we think that we're our thoughts. 
most people kind of live out their thoughts. And when you when you suggest to, to to some people that they might just you know look at their thoughts or notice their thoughts or ask themselves, I wonder what the next thought to pop up might be. Oh, they suddenly <laughs> they suddenly notice that here's me. Oh, I suddenly I, I'm seeing that there's a distance between me and my thoughts, whereas previously mm-hmm. they've always thought. Like, like, they just are. I'm my thoughts and they live it out. But when we look at this, we see that we're not our thoughts and we can't ever show that the thoughts that we have about most things are true for sure. Uh, but when we have an, a, an experience or even start thinking about who I am, we have thoughts about who I am and they might be uncomfortable thoughts. Yeah, I'm not good enough or, you know, I'm unhappy all the time or I'm whatever but these are just thoughts that we believe and and so our emotional response to life comes actually as believing a thought that something is bad or not good enough or not how it should be so when you talk in the book you you talk about seeing what's real as part of spiritual awakening is this sort of what you're referring to is sort of being able to separate what is what are the thoughts in our minds and the stories we're telling ourselves about those thoughts versus what the reality is? That's right, Amy, because in the book, I, I lead the reader to discover for themselves in a very straightforward way through lots of examples and things that they can do and from some anecdotes from my own personal life. I show them how they can look at thoughts and notice that they, they can't know that they're true. And as they begin to notice some of their habitual thoughts about themselves and about life really dissolving. (laughs) They feel a lot more peace, a lot more presence, and they start to be able to see more clearly what's real about them and about the world. And so this, the the first thing that's most beautiful is to be able to see what's, what's, what, what am I now free of in terms of how I've previously you know, defined myself, the kind of self-image that I've had or the, or the habitual feelings that I've had about who I am. But another beautiful thing that flows from this uh, uh, regular noticing your thoughts and noticing that you can't know that they're true for certain and noticing that you are not your thoughts is that the world around you also and the people around you start to be able to be seen more for what's really going on with them rather than uh, as our habitual interpretations of, of what things are on the surface, as it were. We'd be able to see kind of beneath the surface. And this is really helpful because we can see a whole, many, many years ago, <clears throat> I read a book uh, which said that the, the goal of schooling should be really to teach kids crap detecting <laughs> which is not a bad definition of a good goal for education but what, what you find as you learn to notice your thoughts see that they're they're conditioned in the main they're habitual they're not true you begin to to be able to see what's not real in terms of what you've previously thought about yourself and what's not real in what you have tended to perceive the world around you and the people around you to be so you can you can notice more quickly What's actually crap? <laughs> what's what's really kind of a bit false about where this person might be coming from, for example, uh, or this situation that's t- traditionally, or or just in my own tradition, my habitually for me, I regard these kind of situations as such and such. Then you begin to notice 
actually I can see that that's not the case at all. You'd be able to see, see things more, more as they are in reality, if I can use that word inverted commas, reality, not according to somebody else's definition of reality, but more as something which is, as it were, registered by something deeper than our conditioned patterns of thinking and definitions of things. And how does that move us towards our own spiritual awakening? Well, uh, I mentioned, you know, that what troubles us usually is not what we're experiencing, but the thought that we have about what we're experiencing. So when we notice the thoughts that we have and we begin to notice that there's no way, can we know that, no way that we can know for certain that they're true, well, what's left? The kind of, it's like the thought has kind of crumbled into dust. <laughs> and what's left? What's left is who we are, presence, awareness, mm. without the content of this conditioned thought that was previously kind of, as it were, distracting us from the essence of who we are as presence. And we were identifying with the thought and perhaps with it, an emotion or feeling that might have been triggered by the thought. So we're caught up in that thinking that this is what I'm experiencing. This is who I am. This is life. No, when we notice that there's a space between me and what I'm experiencing, then we're, that's, that's, the, that's waking up spiritually because this word spiritually I'm using only to refer to who I am in my essence, who I am as the formless awareness that's in the background of the thoughts that pop up. Previously identified so much with the thoughts that I didn't notice that actually I'm that peace-filled observing awareness. So how do we start to separate, or, or once we separate, how do we know that who we really are isn't our thoughts? Like we're not thinking who we are as being defined by our thoughts. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it does. And I lead people in the book just nice and easily and, and through a process of discovering for themselves and initially mostly through this process of when there's an emotion arise, uh, having a couple of uh, simple ways of responding to that. Now, the first one to 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 come right in on your question now, how do we do it? Um, the, if an emotion is, you notice an emotion is there, a first very helpful thing to do is to first to acknowledge the emotion. Oh, I'm feeling really low or I'm feeling angry at such and such, you know, or, or whatever it might be, or I'm feeling really bad about myself. I'm feeling really unworthy or really like a loser or something you know horrible like that so the first thing is to acknowledge the the feeling or the emotion and the next thing that's really helpful is to say to yourself instead of thinking i am depressed or i'm really angry at the moment or something like that say to yourself i'm the awareness noticing a feeling of depression or a feeling of unworthiness or a feeling of anger. Mm -hmm. And this immediately puts a space between who you really are and the emotion. You suddenly begin, already it begins to lose its intensity because you're noticing that I'm the observer of something that's going on. That's not me. 
that in itself is very helpful. And then you right. can look so to... So like I am feeling depressed versus I am depressed. Even one step slightly further feeling. than I am feeling because okay. it's it's very... I am feeling depressed is quite close to I am depressed. And we come back even one step beyond I am feeling depressed. I am the awareness noticing a feeling of depression. I'm the awareness wow. noticing okay. the feeling. Yeah. Now, uh, and then we can go to looking and I show in the book nice and simply how to do this. Let's look then at what thought is actually triggering the emotion or the feeling. And then we can, we can notice what the thought is um, and question whether we know for certain that the thought is true. But I, I want to just jump back a step now, Amy, and just give your listeners one thing that they can even do right now to have a, a sense that there's this awareness that observes their experience which is, and the awareness is who they truly are. This formless awareness that's the observer of their thoughts and feelings and experiences who that is who they truly are. And a simple way to do that is to have your listeners think back to earlier in their life, when they were younger than 10, for example, did they feel like they were them? Well, yeah, I remember when I was eight and such, I was me, I was doing this, that, and the other. When you were in your mid-teens, did you feel like you were you? Yeah, of course I do. I was you know, at high school and I, or, you know, or I remember a time when I was at home and I was me. I remember, I was, yeah, I felt like me. When you were in your 20s, did you feel like you were you? Yeah, of course. 30s, 40s, 50s. Yeah, I've always felt like I was me. Now, that constant is who people truly are. This awareness that's mostly been in the background observing their life experience, observing the situations that they were in, observing the thoughts that were uh, common or you know, at that at that time, observing the roles that they might have had in life, uh, all these sorts of things. Because if we people look back, they can see that their bodies changed over all those years. They can see that the, a lot of the things that they believe have changed over those years. They can see that a lot of the things that gave them pleasure, their hobbies or their interests, a lot of those have changed. They can see that their roles have changed. I used to be a student, then I was a nurse, and then I changed my career and became a something or other, a counsellor, For just as examples. And people can see that, okay, well, I can't be the things that I believe because they've changed and I can't be my body because it's quite different now than it used to be and several times, several times, several times. I can't be a, a, a doctor. I can't be a carpenter because there was a time when I wasn't a carpenter, but I still felt I was me. So there you get the idea. The listeners hopefully are getting the idea that this is who they are, this consciousness or this awareness, formless, that's been noticing their life experience all the way along. And now as they, if they feel this invitation within themselves to begin to wake up even more, that's what this waking up even more is. It's about noticing more and more this sense of presence of, of, of just formless awareness. And it's, mm -hmm. it's a nice feeling. This is the other, the other thing that's beautiful about spiritual awakening and waking up to what your essential nature is, because I, I use the word formless. It's a kind of like a formless awareness, but it, it's not ultimate, absolutely formless. It's kind of got qualities to it. Like for example, when you question a thought that's been troubling you, what you notice is, a feeling of peacefulness. So this this presence has a nice sense of peacefulness uh, and contentedness about it. 
And sometimes it takes on other kind of forms. It ha might have a nice sense of playfulness bubble up. You might notice, some of your listeners might be noticing that some of these kind of feelings associated with the essence of who we are are the feelings that we sometimes notice are typical of the childlikeness of young children. And that's why it is there, because they haven't been yet so smothered by their conditioning that these qualities of the essence of who they are as, as being spiritual, by, by which I simply mean infinite or non-finite, more subtle than concepts, more subtle than forms, sort of formless. Those beautiful qualities are the essence of who we are. And this is how we, we rediscover or reawaken to those qualities as being our own nature, even as an adult, you can, you can enjoy the essence of who you are as that playfulness and that contentedness mm -hmm. and that peacefulness. So when you talk about in the book spirituality as an egoic quest, I thought this was really important. Can you, because I feel like there is maybe that sense, particularly now as, as there does seem to be sort of more waking up, that it's that spirituality is something to like achieve or to be conquered or to be spiritual. Oh, I was initially slightly puzzled by your, your question about uh, spirituality as an egoic quest because it's not quite a phrase, but now I know what you're talking about that I say in the book. Yes. Uh, uh, we, anyone, most people who are interested in um spirituality of the non-religious kind uh, in our mm -hmm. culture, nevertheless are caught up in some misconceptions about it, many people, um, partly resulting from the uh, limitations of concepts and language. But we tend to think that spirituality is something that I need to cultivate we talk about, you know, spiritual development more often than spiritual awakening. Um, mm. And and the, the ego can, many many people aspiring to uh, enlightenment or, or a spiritual unfolding or spiritual awakening are very attached to the outcome of being an enlightened person. And so actually for some people, the driver of the, of what they like to think of as their aspiration to spiritual development or spiritual awakening is actually the ego, which is <laughs> completely ironic because the ego is, when I explain in my book uh, that I use the word ego simply to refer to the conceptual sense of self that we develop from an early age, the sense of me as being a separate being a separate entity i don't use it to mean you know i'm the king of the world type of uh, sometimes we use ego in that way but ego now no more broadly speaking is this sense of self as separate and along with that goes the sense of i'm this, this separate self that has these certain um uh limitations or um uh, less attractive qualities, but also goes along. I'm the I'm this separate entity that has these various merits, <laughs> and one of the most wonderful merits that an ego, that some egos might aspire to. Wow, wouldn't it be great for me, little ego, if I could be an enlightened person? <laughs> Which is co mm -hmm. completely ironic. But there are those right, who are in, who are counter, in that, right? Pardon. 
it runs it runs counter to enlightenment. It really does run counter way. to enlightenment, and this hooks back into another in a completely different part of the book. I, I talk about some traps that people can uh, are likely to get caught up in on the road of self-discovery, and I explain how they can avoid them or get out of them if they find find they're starting to get caught up in them. They're basically all traps that the <laughs> that the conditioned mind that the ego is lays in, in its attempt to survive because uh, spiritual awakening is seeing through the illusion that I am a separate person and that I am the definitions that I have about who I am and that I'm better perhaps than these five people. Uh, it, it, the ego may even be happy to acknowledge I'm not as good as those several people over there because it helps to confirm the sense at least that they're, that they are them as a separate entity with merits and demerits. But this is all illusions. As we've just been saying, the real essence of each person is the formless consciousness, which is underlying their, their self-definitions, whatever those self-definitions might be. So yes, Amy, and I make clear uh, early on in the book that one of the strangest things and most lovely things to discover is that actually nothing could be more natural than this thing of spiritual awakening. It's not something that you need to strive for. It's not something um, that you need to spend years or decades, and some people believe lifetimes, you know, to become sufficiently evolved and developed to be spiritually awake. That's all, I was gonna say rubbish. I'll just be a little bit more gentle and say that's all a big mistake. It's mm. all a big mistake. And so enlightenment is is not a crown of achievement or a, a, a cup like a you know soccer cup or a tennis cup that you can put on your mantelpiece. It's not a personal achievement. It's a recognition that who you are is much more subtle than your definitions of you as a, as a separate being. That's a great kind of distinguishing factor. And I think to, to really be thinking about that, then it becomes... It really is like an everyday sort of simple practice, right? I mean, this is what you're saying is spiritual awakening is natural. It's part of, I mean, we don't, we shouldn't have to work so hard at it. <laughs> well, th it. that's right. That's right. I mean, it does need some application. And that's what I explain in the book. It's simple. It's not easy. It's not like you flick a switch and tomorrow it's all done. So it is a case of taking a process of, of, you know, unraveling our identification with our thoughts and with form in general, our own well, form and the form around us. And I think simple is different than easy, yes, right? Yes, yes. It's not necessarily easy, but it is simple. And this is one of the key things, reasons I wanted to write this book, is that some of these things that I say, a lot of them, are said by other people here or there or, you know, in scattered kind of places. But I figured out how to and I wanted to share with others a pulling together of the essentials into one concise methodical simple way of seeing how it all works and making it very practical so can you can you talk just before we wrap up because I know you talk about your you have an acronym dawn d-a-w-n yeah that helps people move through awakening. So can you walk us through, I don't know if that, that word came to you, it's so perfect, right, for awakening. <laughs> yeah, um, it's kind of, yeah, um, 
coincidental, although a lot of people will laugh and, and know this, that the, they always, a lot of people always use now a, 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 the word coincidental with a smile on their face because they know that ultimately in this universe, nothing is coincidental. <laughs> right. My listeners for sure are, are at this point, like there's no coincidence. Uh, yeah, right, right. And so it's- Synchronistic. <clears throat> synchronistic, Yeah. And because your listeners are the the people that they are, I'll also add into this the synchronicity of my own personal path leading up to being able to write this book. It wasn't coincidence. It wasn't accidental. It was synchronistic. I can see, I can look back on my own journey and I've got goosebumps as I speak about this right now, that I've come to have this journey a, a, a word I have some misgivings about and I explain in the book why, but I'll use it now. I've had this path to now in order to be able to write this book and it hasn't come together by accident. But now come to your question about the acronym that I offer people in the last chapter. But first I need to preface my comments about this with with this point that the acronym is a, is a, a reminder for people of what they've discovered reading through the book. And so there's a limit to how much I can convey now, apart from the shortness of time that we have, even if I was to spend a half an hour talking about that acronym, it doesn't, it won't have, it couldn't have the helpfulness and the power that it'll have when people come across it after having read through the book. Because the reading through the book is even not just becoming aware of some ideas. It's a process of their own recognition of things and their own discovery of things. And so at the end of the book, I offer this acronym to help people to bring this all together in every any moment that they want to throughout each day, how to pull these discoveries that they've made together so that in within seconds, they can come back to really being present and being the awareness self, who they truly are. So the acronym basically DAWN refers to the little simple methodologies I show people to disbelieve or dis disidentify from their thinking, from their thoughts, to allow the, their present experience, whatever it might be, to be whatever it is. Because after all, as they've been through this process of disidentifying with thoughts and, and disbelieving thoughts, the only thing that says that their present experience isn't how it should be is another thought. So while they may wish, wish to do something in response to their present experience, the thought that their present experience is bad or not good enough and the emotions that that often triggers, that's not the case at all. They can't know that their present experience isn't as it should be. And so suddenly they, wow, well, relief and relaxing happens. And then the W is to withdraw their attention from their thoughts, from their mind, and to feel the energy in and around their body. And I show them earlier in the book about how they can do this. This is kind of like the, 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 the subtle, the very subtle energy. That's the kind of like the interface between me and the universality. That is the essence of who I am between me and consciousness. There's something which is actually palpable. It's, it's subtle and it's very beautiful. And it's this energy that we can feel in and around our body. And it helps to bring us and to keep us in being present out of withdrawn from identifying with the mind. So there's D, A, W, withdraw from the mind. And N is about noticing just what's real. Being present 
here and now, not caught up in thoughts, just being really connected with the essence of who I am present. I can see things as they are. Also seeing that I'm the formless awareness, noticing these things, whether they're sounds that are popping up around them spontaneously or somebody speaking or whatever that it might be in their visual sight or whatever they're kind of experiencing in that moment. They can see it with, with the previous biases and, and perceptual filters and, uh, and prejudices and agendas no longer, no longer in play. They've been kind of put aside as we've disidentified from the mind with our thoughts. And so we are able to see things and notice things more freshly as they are right here and now. And that brings a nice delicate feeling of appreciation to our present experience. So that's dawn in a nutshell. But I really, again, want to emphasize to your listeners, you, that little acronym will have a great deal more uh, effectiveness for you when you've read through the book and you've been through the things that it's kind of reminding you of. And if people want to know more about where they could find your work, find you, other than down under, <laughs> let, let them know uh, where that is. Yeah, thanks. It is a long way to come down under. So first thing, <laughs> the book is available on Amazon and most online bookstores as a paperback and as an ebook. And in, in many uh, physical bookstores, it'll be there too. Um, but in terms of connecting in other ways with me, I've got a website, Awakening Made Simple org doesn't use the words spiritual to make it shorter awakening made simple org people could read the preface and introduction uh, to the book there but they can also read about one-on-one um, -on -one counseling and mentoring for spiritual awakening sessions that i offer people with uh, online conferencing uh, there's a newsletter if people wanted to keep track of you know things that i might be doing like uh, talks or workshops or different things they can they can uh, uh, keep in touch in that way and on the contact page of my website uh, there's uh, some of my social media links that if people want to follow me in that way they can too well Andrew thank you so much for your time today for explaining all of this and walking us through your wonderful book that really does kind of break everything down so thank you for taking the time to talk with me today thanks Amy thanks so much for the opportunity I enjoyed talking to you like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.